Thanks for listening to the River in the Hills weekly sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Nate Cashdan. For more about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at www.riverinthehills.com. Good morning. How's everybody doing? It's nice to see everybody. You believe it's the end of August? Me neither. Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. I love this church a lot. Um, And uh, I love the way that y'all respond to the word of the Lord. Like this, like this word of the Lord, <laughs> the word of the Lord. I've seen it a lot. We've been here six years, and uh, man, your hunger has made me more hungry, which is great. In the kingdom, hunger begets hunger, right? The more you eat, the more hungry you get. Um, but it's not normal, and that's why I think I'm so encouraged by it when I look around and just see everyone's hunger, everyone's perseverance is because it's, it's totally not the norm when you look around in the world today. My motivational gift is, that, is one of prophecy. Pastor Glenn's taught me. I would have never said that my gift was prophecy. Then I start learning about the different gifts laid out in Scripture and the, the motivational gifts. And one of the uh, markers, I guess, or, or um, uh, potential pitfalls of someone with a prophetic motivational gift is that you always see the 2% that is wrong and overlook, you know, the 90% that is right. And there's good things and bad things to that. By the way, I'm not a feeler at all. You can, my wife's like, hey man, heard that. But uh, like, I'm, I'm like feeling this morning. So this is just in case, just that's why I'm not sick. I'm just, um, but so you see the 2% that's wrong, and so you, you can call it wrong, right? You can, you, you're not easily, I'm not easily deceived. I uh, have a discernment gift, right? Like, it, it's easy for me to, I, you know, the day that they said, I think we're going to have to shut everything down and stay at home, I said, this is satanic and wrong. I said, when they said, you got to wear masks, I said, this is satanic, I'm not telling you this because I'm, I, I said it for everybody. I mean, lots of people were saying it, but lots of people weren't. But it was just easy for me to see. And it was like, no, it's for safety. And I was like, no, it's not. This is for, but so the two, that's where it helps. That's where it shows up in good, in good things. But it can be really dangerous when there's a lot of really good things going on. And I'm like, yeah, but, or like 98 people just got saved. I'm like, but two didn't. Like, that's what I see. And you know a little bit more about me. That's, I, used to just think I was a ridiculous pessimist that couldn't get over it and, you know, needed to figure, but now I, I know a little bit more about myself and I'm thankful uh, to have that. So, um, anyways, I don't know why I told you that. Um, oh, because I'm, I'm recognizing the good. That's why I told you that. <laughs> I'm like, hey, look at me. Look what I'm doing. No, that, that was a lesson in humility. But more than... Um, you know, one of the reasons I get so encouraged when I look around, in, in 2020, more than 4,000 churches closed down in America, just in 2020. Now we're at the rate of about nine a day that are closing. Um, and uh, it was just about 3,300 a year. Um, 
Barna did a poll last year, and um, not that he's the god of statistics, but in the Christian world, he's treated like that sometimes. Um, but you know 80% of statistics are just made up anyways. So, uh, <clears throat> but 50% of current pastors said that they'd leave the ministry if they had another way of making a living. Um, right now, this, this current stat is that 1,700 pastors a month are leaving the ministry. 1,700 a month, it's over 20,000 a year. And we're not adding to that number at the same rate at all. Um, a th- during COVID, a third of people that were involved in church has left the church and didn't come back or still haven't come back. A third. And many churches around the Austin area reflect that. Um, many, I mean, you, just yesterday, somebody texted me and said, hey, somebody's in, a friend is in San Antonio. And they said, hey, you know any good churches in San Antonio? And I said, yes, I've, I've, I know a pastor that pastors in San Antonio. So I'm looking up his information. Closed. I mean, he was a, he was a, a, a guy from Bethel, Reading. Like, he was, he was a personal assistant of one of the pastors there and got sent out with all the money he needed, all the backing, and like 60 people to plant. And they planted it. It was up off the ground and shut down. Um, and so it's just really, it's really hard to see that. And I say that, I don't say this to get everybody on a bummer. I say this because... <laughs> You're like, too late. Um, <laughs> I say that it's just because I, I really commend you. for your. It's so, because you didn't do that. And it would have been really easy to. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, it would have been really bad for you. I know a lot of people that walked away from the church during COVID, and their life sucks. Not by my estimation, by theirs. Now, I'm not, I'm not accusing. I'm saying I've talked to them, and they're just like, I don't understand why it's so hard. I'm like... Pick me. <laughs> They're like, no, 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 it's not that, because I still love Jesus. I'm like, oh. all right. But I just commend you for being hungry and not giving up and for really persevering and fighting the good fight of faith, which you've done really well. Um, really, each of you who, have, who follow Jesus in this room, you, you've persevered to an extent, whether, you, whether that's your estimation of yourself or not, there's been things that you've had to walk through and you're on the other side of them, especially in the last three years. So I just, I just want to give you a, you know, a yay for that. This is me excited for you. <laughs> um, that trait of being able to persevere is going to be invaluable in the days ahead. You know, Pastor Glenn, he doesn't know what I'm going to preach about. I actually changed my message last week. So, um, but uh, not to keep him in the dark, just because the, just because the Lord said to. But, um, yeah, right. But... Uh, but, he, you know, in speaking about what, what he was just speaking about, um, you know, in the end times when, you know, inflation is just ridiculously high and you're spending two days wages for a, a bite to eat or whatever, you know, the Lord showed me just, you know, a couple weeks ago that, you know, in that time, we're going to have, a lot of people are going to be faced with, I mean, most of us, if not all of us, are going to be faced with a decision to trust the Lord or not trust the Lord. Okay, so the, the widow um, that had just enough oil and flour to make one last meal for her and her son and then die. And then Elijah comes and says, actually, just go gather all the vessels and borrow them if you can. And she keeps bringing them in and they keep being miraculously filled with oil. It's my, it's my firm belief that if she would have just continued to bring in vessels, they would have continued to be f- filled. 
But when the son brought the last one, it stopped. But she, she tapped into heaven's provision during a time where she was about to die of starvation, her and her son. We're going to be faced with the same things. And I'm going to tell you that the Lord showed me this scene. I'm just going to tell you the scene that I saw because I, I don't want it to be anyone in this room that does this, but I want it to just be a, a way for us to bring awareness to ourselves and to be able to bring awareness to others that there are going to be believers in Jesus and specifically spirit-filled believers in Jesus who will go take the mark of the beast so that they can buy and sell and get food, right? That's what that means, right? That's how you control a people. You control the food and the water supply, okay? So that's what's coming. And where people will take the mark of the beast and say things like, it's all right, I believe God's going to protect me from all of the fallout from this. It's okay, it won't affect me like it's going to affect somebody else. I don't, I don't assume to think that I'm super spiritual and strong enough to where I'm not going to be tempted. It's easy right now to be like, I'll never take part. And it was easy for me to say, I'll never wear a mask. I mean, that was easy. <laughs> no one was telling me I couldn't eat. And, and then some restaurants or whatever. I just go eat another one. It, it was easy. It's not going to be the same thing. It's going to be much harder. It's going to be food. Right? It's gonna, and, 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 we, and we, have to, we have to have such a stockpile of oil, yes. such a stockpile of trust Amen. in the Lord that he'll provide yes. in the way that he said he would when it doesn't look like the way that we would like it to. Yes. And I want us to be able to be the ones that, whose love doesn't grow cold yes. and who don't fall away. Because if you believe the word of God, there will be those who fall into those two categories. I don't want it to be us. And I really believe it's not going to be. Because when I look around and I see real perseverance and real faith, and I'm thankful. All right, last week, um, Pastor Mike brought a, a great word about building our own pulpits. How many of you were here for that? Most. That's great. If you didn't, just go listen to it online. Uh, he gave a lot of testimonies uh, from what's going on uh, at his church in Corpus Christi. Saw some pictures. Um, it's, it's really great. People have taken the call of Jesus seriously, um, sharing the gospel unashamed, and they're seeing the fruit of salvation and baptism. It's so cool. And miracles also. Um, he spoke briefly about Jesus' words to the church in Laodicea from uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 through 22. And um, I'm going to continue with something uh, kind of piggybacking off of where he kind of left off there with a word that I believe the Lord has spoken uh, for this church, for our church in this hour. Um, the Lord had a lot to say to me this week, and uh, I know that he has much to say to us as a church as well. I want the main point here uh, or I basically want us to walk away today with our hearts encouraged but, con but convicted. I mean, if we just sit around and hear, you know, um, you know attaboys all day, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, well, like, I'm so thankful for, like, for my dad not letting me get away with stupid stuff. My mom, too, you know, just my dad more. Um, no, they're probably watching. They can laugh. Um, because, because it's really helped mold my character. I look around and I'll see, I'll see you know, kids or, got to be careful here, um, people that are afraid to work or don't know how to treat women or don't know how to treat adults, don't know how to treat their peers, don't know how to interact or communicate with their words. And I'm like, 
what is going on? What, you know, what in the world? And, and I look back and I'm thankful. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Um, but I want the main point here today. I want us to leave here with renewed vision about who we are individually. That's even been spoken about this morning, which is cool about identity. Um, but, and, and where we are heading as followers of Jesus. I want, to, I want us to leave here having repented of anything that's going to get in the way of, of the Lord pouring out everything that he has in his heart to pour out over each one of us individually and as a church, okay? Okay? Yes. All right. Revelation chapter 3, it'll be up on the screen if you need it, but I encourage you to use your Bible if you, if you brought it. Remember, forgetting your Bible at church is like forgetting your pants at school. All right. So uh, I'm going to read through this, and then, we'll, and then we'll go through it a little bit. Just starting in uh, Revelation 3, chapter 14, it says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea, remember this is Jesus speaking, says, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's children. Jesus is saying, these are, these are my words. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, or some of your versions might say vomit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, and I have acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. That was mentioned today, too. I thought it was pretty cool. It was a great confirmation of this word. Verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent means like, don't wait. <laughs> be excited about this. Let's repent. Here I, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. All right. So Jesus writes here, or I'm sorry, John, I guess, writes here, uh, Jesus' words to these seven churches. And he gives praise and no criticism to two churches. Okay, there's seven churches all together. Two of them just get straight praise, the church at Smyrna and the church at Philadelphia. Okay, they both get like, attaboys, you're doing a great job, keep it up, I'm with you. Um, basically like, yay on your candlestick. Right to use the language from here, okay? Uh, and then he gives praise and mixed with a criticism, like, hey, you're doing this really well, but, right? He gives buts to, to these other churches, Ephesus, Pergamum, Thyatira, and Sardis, right? It's like, hey, you're, you're doing this really well, but you forgot your first love. Hey, you're doing this really well, but you, you uh, entertain or tolerate the spirit of Jezebel, right? That's, he, he calls out these things that are actually keeping, or they're, they're basically quenching his work in their church by what they're doing. But to the church at Laodicea, he gives criticism and no praise. The only one. He's like, hey. And he tells them all these bad things, and they're like, and? And he's like, no, and. <laughs> Repent. Then there's the and. It's amazing. And that's worth noting. It's worth noting that he, cho he chooses seven churches to write to, gives just praise to two, praise with criticism to four, and just criticism to one. Pastor Mike last week explained about the cold waters from Colossae, the hot waters from Hierapolis, you know, both being piped in by these clay pipes to, um, to Laodicea. And by the time it got there, it was 
lukewarm and putrid and disgusting, undrinkable. Um, for all their wealth, they couldn't afford a good water supply. And it's amazing to me that how, how genius they were with business. They didn't think like, hey, I wonder if that water's going to change temperature after it's out in the sun a couple miles. It's okay. They didn't get whatever. Um, they're just wishful thinking. Or they thought they could pray it, but it didn't work. Um, a little bit about Laodicea. Laodicea was one of the most affluent towns um, or cities in the entire region, if not the most affluent. Um, one of the reasons, well, actually, they had so much wealth that in AD 17, their entire city was destroyed by an earthquake. And uh, they were offered imperial money to rebuild the city. And they denied it, saying, like, we don't, we don't need it. We'll just rebuild it ourselves. Can you imagine the city of Houston after Hurricane Harvey, Right. City of Houston after Hurricane Harvey was just destroyed, and or just think of think of what Katrina did in Louisiana. Can you imagine those cities being like, "Nah, it's okay, Governor. Nah, it's okay, President. We got it." They'd still be destroyed. <laughs> They'd still be underwater, right? They still they had to take. I mean, it was like billions. That so, but this think of that. Think of how much wealth an entire city is completely destroyed, and they're like, "We got this. We're okay. We don't need any financial help." That's how wealthy they were. It's incredible. Um, they were known for their wealth and extreme economic success, not just because of their locale, like where they were. They were, they were on a, like a, a trade route and a travel route. Okay? So they were, it, was, it was easy for people to buy and sell through all their markets that they had there, um, both you know, huge sales like exports and imports and then individual sales like for families. Uh, but also... They were known because they, their three main exports were extremely lucrative. Do you know what they were? Gold, wool, and eye salve. Jesus' rebuke, let me read it again. He says, you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Did you hear that? Poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, white clothes to wear, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. That's what the wool was, made, was used for, to make clothes. And salve to put on your eyes, so that you can see. Wow. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. It makes the passage come to life a little bit more. Wow. His rebuke was because that their wealth and their self-satisfying lifestyles made them look exactly like the world around them. Okay. Uh, and they had the, not only the attitude, but we see here in this passage, they had said things with their mouths actually to the effect of, we're good, we don't need anything from God, yeah. both spiritually and, and physically having to do with their wealth. They had, really, they had said the quote is, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. More than likely, I read some stuff on this. I'm like, were they actually going around? <laughs> I mean, think about this. Think about if somebody stood up this morning, they're like, hey, I'm rich. I've acquired everything I need. I don't need anything from you or from the Lord. It's just hard to imagine them saying that. More, so it's possible that they were saying that. More than likely, this is, a, this is Jesus saying, here is a compilation of what I've heard. Yep. They think that they're spiritually great, and they're actually pitiful, wretched, poor, blind, and naked. So they had grossly underestimated their spiritual condition or grossly miscalculated their spiritual condition. Um, they were very, very comfortable. These are believers, right? Remember, this is a letter to the church. 
in Laodicea. It's really easy to be like, well, yeah, all that. No, this is the church. He's not talking about all the other people. He's just talking to the church. Jesus says, you don't realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. This would have been the complete opposite of how they felt. Okay, you understand, and they're hearing this, right? Or that this is Jesus' estimation of the, of the church, and they're like, what? They, they weren't going to be like, well, yeah, but like, they were like, what? This was a shock to them. Wretched and pitiful are terms that are used when you describe an army that was just totally destroyed and plundered, like had all their things taken, and they're left without everything. So Jesus, Jesus is like, he's using, you, you, got, you got to see that the, every word that he uses is on purpose. They're like, we have everything. He's like, you have nothing. You have had everything taken from you. You're wretched and pitiful, meaning like you need people to feed you, clothe you, give you water, give you everything. You have nothing. And they're like, so they're like, what? Why is he telling us? If somebody came in and, and you're like, I have everything, they're like, you have nothing. And they're like, you're an idiot. You just don't know. He hits them right where, I mean, he needs to get to the point. So he uses these words, poor. He says, you're poor. So it speaks to their wealth, their gold export, Right? He says blind. It speaks to their wealth because of the eye salve that they were exports. This powder that you mix with water, it treated all these eye diseases. And that's, you know, back then you get an eye disease, you go blind in many cases, right? It's not like here where you get antibiotic drops. So the eye salve was preventing blindness in a lot of cases. And then he says you're naked. It speaks to the wealth because of the fine wools that they sold. And he's telling them your, your spiritual condition is not what you have estimated it to be. And they were indistinguishable from the world around them. They looked exactly like everybody else. They believed in Jesus. They had worship. They probably prayed. They probably gathered. They were doing all these things. But Jesus is like, you are lukewarm. I cannot tell you apart from this guy over here who worships this false god of Zeus. Yeah. He can't, he's like, I can't tell you apart. That was the accusation. The accusation wasn't you're lukewarm, meaning like, oh, you just kind of backslid a little bit or having an off week or, um, you know, it was like, no, I, I, when I look at you, Jesus said, when I look at you, I, I see the same thing as I see the world around you. I don't want to look like the world. I want to look like Jesus. And I just, I just repent right now in front of you. I'm not, and this isn't for show, but I, I really do. I repent for looking too much like the world. And I, and I want you to know that already in the last month, Kaylee and I have made changes in our life to look less like the world and more like Jesus. And it's not a, I know it's not a one and done, but I'm, I'm continually looking to the Lord. And I, I'm telling you, especially in this month to come, I'm going, Lord, I'm, I'm done trying to balance. I'm done trying to balance. I'll just, I'll just get rid of everything. I don't care. It's not easy. I have a lot of sympathy for John the Baptist. These people hated him. He was a nut. I'm serious. He lived in the desert and ate bugs. I'm serious. 
And he, he did. But that actually led, to, he was the most powerful evangelist of his time. And paved the way for Jesus Christ. <laughs> and then he got beheaded. It's not, it's not glorious by the world's standards. I mean, like he would look like a, like a freak. So I understand that this isn't a small thing. I'm not going to give you... <laughs> I'm not going to give you, oftentimes in church, this is the time where we give you a list of things to do and not do. We don't do that too much here. But um, gosh, it's so stupid it, because all you do is just, you say like, we're not under the law. Here's your new law. Yeah. <laughs> right? We're like, hey, you need to do one, two, three, four, five, and then you'll you right? It's like five steps to freedom. I mean, I'm not against, I'm not against advice and I'm not against like, here's what helped me. And I'm not, but I'm not even going to tell you what I did. <laughs> like, because it, I don't want anybody to make a religion out of it. Amen. Or like, Hey, I gave up these things. How come this hasn't happened yet? Or Hey, I, or you wave it at a, as a flag of false humility. Like, look what I have sacrificed, right? The Pharisees were doing that. When they would fast, they'd look all, look how spiritual I am. That's why in Matthew, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7, Jesus is like, stop that. Make yourself look better. Put some oil on your face and smile. It wasn't not hide the fact that you're fasting, but stop trying to advertise your spirituality. All right. I'm not going to give you a list. I do encourage you to humble yourself and ask the Lord uh, that if you've become... You know, if you, if in any way, if you become like the believers of Laodicea, meaning, are you, are you indistinguishable from the world around you? Like, if Jesus were to come, would he know the difference? I know he knows your heart, but would he know the difference in the outworking of your heart? Self-sufficient, um, or if you if you become self-sufficient or prideful or blind to your true spiritual condition or. Anything like that. That's what he was saying when he was saying lukewarm. But I encourage you to do this because, well, there's a lot of reasons, but mainly because after Jesus rebukes the church in Revelation 3, he gives the remedy for their condition and a promise for their repentance. And he gives the same thing to us. I want to see great things for us, and that's what he promises. He says, those who I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will what? Come in and eat with him and he with me. I want to eat with Jesus, yes. and I want him to eat with me, Amen. and not fast food. We want a five-course sit-down. Do you understand what I'm saying? So often we treat the Lord like a fast food restaurant. We hit it up the drive-thru on the way home because it's convenient or because we're hungry or because we need it or because it's cheap. Whoa. And he's like, no, 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 I want to come down and I want to I sit with you for hours and have five courses. Wow. To him who overcomes, right? Here's the promise when you repent. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. That's good enough. <laughs> right? Look. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, he overcame death. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord, give us ears this morning. In Jesus' name. This can't just be a, this isn't a, it's not a sermon that fixes thing. A sermon never fixes anything. 
Jesus tells the church at Laodicea that they need to buy gold from him that's been revived in the fire to become truly rich, buy white clothes from him for their shameful nakedness, and to buy his eye salve so that their spiritual eyes can be open. And I started asking myself, well, what does it mean to buy gold and wool and salve from him? I believe it's really simple. I just, you know, I did study this. I know what other people think too, and this lines up. But I think, I think a lot of times we overthink stuff. And the Bible was really written to be understood and applied. Okay? It, and it was written by mostly, you know, semi-educated, or to today's standard, to, to, to today's standards, semi-educated people, um, to uneducated people. <laughs> so that's me. One or two of you. But Jesus wants us to invest in spiritual riches. I think it's that simple. I think it lines up with scripture. Matthew 6, 19 through 20 says, do not store up for yourselves on earth or, or treasures for yourself on earth where moth rust destroy, thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so you ask yourself the question, how do we invest in spiritual riches? And I really think it's as simple. I think we go back to basics. Seriously. I think we go back to basics. I think we love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I think we love our neighbor as ourself. I think we pray, meaning we cry out, we intercede. I think we fast from food. Amen. I know we have to say that sometimes now. People are like, I've been on a social media fast for 30 days. I'm like, I'm not excited. <laughs> no. You've not moved my notch. <laughs> like, I think you should fast from social media all the time. So, you know, let me know when you do that. But anyways, yeah, fasting is from food. Um, and I just repent. I don't fast like I used to. I'm, go I'm going to. I mean, I'm going to now. I mean, that, that's what repentance is. I'm not just giving you lip service and saying like, yeah, I'm going to change my... No, I'm, I'm changing the way I'm doing things because I can't, you know, I, I've never been able to stand up here and call somebody to something that I'm not either already doing or willing to go there with you at the same time. Yes, I've, yes, I've, I have, have had a lifestyle of fasting in the past, and not recently at all, and that's my fault, and I'm sorry. Sharing the gospel, which is what Mike talked about last <laughs> week, building your own pulpit. We're not good at this. Some of you are good at it, but just collectively, we're not good at it. And because we're not good at it and we don't like it, we've actually invented other things to do because of our boredom and frustration. Like, well, we're not seeing a lot of people saved, so we're going to make a program. We're going to start a, a citywide campaign. We're going to do a thing. And then that way we'll be able to go, look what we did. And I'm just going to say something, guys. God's not impressed. He's not impressed. not been impressed with me when I've done it. He's not been impressed with, with churches when they've done it. He's not been impressed with believers. He's not impressed. He's like, I don't care about your thing. I care about my thing. And it, so, he made it so easy for us. And we, I mean, I, we have built doctrines about why we don't have to share the gospel. Well, I can't in my workplace, but I sure pray for him. Man, just share your gospel. Get well, I'll get fired. Get fired. Are you going to tell me the Lord won't provide for you because you share the gospel? It's easy for me to say, if I share the gospel, I'm not going to get fired. I'll probably get promoted. Right? <laughs> That's easy for me to say. But listen, I've, I've also, I've, I've been in the workplace most of my life. I just became full-time in February. So I, I'm not speaking from a place of not knowing what you're going through. 
I understand. I share the gospel with guys that are, you know, talking about all the people that they sleep with besides their wife on the job site. Like, I, I understand how hard it is. I understand that it's rough. I I've been called names. I've been, you know, I've been, people get mad at me. Like, why don't you just, I get it. It's fine. It, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't mean we don't do it. I've done a, I've done a terrible job at it. I've, I've do, I have led people to the Lord. Yes. But it's, I want my heart to break for their lost condition. And it doesn't. It has before. I've had instances, but I'm like, Lord, and I shared in pre-service prayer this morning, years ago I heard the Hillsong song, <laughs> break my heart for what breaks yours was the line. I can't. I've, ever since then, I'm like, that's my prayer. I was standing in Bucky's yesterday in Temple. Yeah. <laughs> Kaylee had never been to Bucky's before, so we had to stop. <laughs> Sorry. It's not that she hates Bucky's. She's, she's, there's not one around here, and we don't usually stop there. So, anyways, I'm like, let's go to Bucky's. I'm coming back from up north, and uh, and so we're standing. I'm standing in the bath near the bathroom, waiting for Zeb. He'd gone in, and. Uh, as I'm standing there, probably 400 people go in to use the bathrooms, right? <laughs> You've been to Bucky's. It's a gold mine. The owners are obviously retired on some island somewhere. It's, they do nothing with the nuts and the fudge. And anyways, there was a Bucky's mascot walking around inside of there. <laughs> Enough. Anyways, I'm sitting there, and I'm standing there against the wall, and this is my thought, standing next to some occult shrine to Halloween. And, and all these people were walking past me, and I was like, Lord, I don't, I don't love them. I would help them. I would help them if they needed help right now. Like, but I was like, I, don't, I know I don't feel about them and see them the way that you do. And I'm standing there praying, Lord, change my heart for this guy. I mean, I know no one, and, and I'm just I'm like, Lord... But I'm just, I'm realizing more and more that my heart does not break for the same things that break his heart. It doesn't. And it's, and it's stupid to lie to myself and say that it does when it doesn't. Because that gets us into programs and campaigns and things. It's stu- I mean, when we don't, when we're not seeing the Lord pour out because we're not following his methods but then we go over and we're like, well, we're just going to, cre- I'm going to create my own example of his goodness. And I'm going to say like, look at what God's doing. Look at what God's doing. Look at all, look at all this. We did this and we did that and we declared this and we built this. And, and the Lord's like, mm-hmm. how many people got saved? <laughs> how many people got set free? How many people got healed? How many dead did you raise? Right, like, and we're like, no, no, but Lord, look what we did. We just, we just cleared out all this darkness, and we just brought in all this. And Lord, look what we did over here. We had this many people show up to this thing, and we ate this much food, and we gave this much money to the food show, and we, and we had this, and we prayed about And he's like, uh-huh. And how many people got saved, baptized, <laughs> healed, delivered? I feel this, guys. When we read revival history, oh God, I've read revival history for years. We never see God pour out 
with mass salvations and encounters, deliverances, healings, with awakenings in regions or with churches, mass deliverances, radical encounters. He never, ever pours out because they ran their Sunday programs really well. <laughs> ever. Most of them sucked at it. <laughs> they did. They like didn't. Every single time. Every single time. It's, be, and, and it's never because the families in church did a really good job of making sure their kids had every opportunity to participate in all the sports they wanted to. That, that didn't bring revival. It's never because the pastor preached a really good series, which I know happens here all the time. It's never because the worship team hit a new level and, and just blasted everybody which I think happened this morning. It's always, or it's, it's never because we get really comfortable and self-sufficient. We're really good at doing things ourselves. Yeah. Somebody asked a question years ago, how many churches would notice if the Holy Spirit left? <laughs> when I heard that at the time, I was in a church where I was like, we would not notice. And it was gut-wrenching. But it's always, I'm telling you, listen to this, it is always, revival always happens because a group of believers recognize their desperate need for a move of God. So they started fasting and praying and going back to basics every single time. Every single time. There aren't any exceptions. Study every revival or every move of God anywhere, and there was a group of people that went, we need God, and started praying and started fasting and started loving people, sharing the gospel, doting on God, and then he showed up every single time. It's what happened in Acts 2. God had even declared, just wait, and I'm going to clothe you with power. He didn't say when. Could have been years. <laughs> what were they doing? Waiting. What were they doing? Praying. Fasting, probably. <laughs> they were just in a room going, he said to wait. So that's what we'll do. Like standing orders are good orders. We don't need to go create our own program. Don't wait for a radical encounter either. I've been there. As soon as the Lord touches me with, with a grace to evangelize, I'll evangelize. He has touched you with a grace to evangelize. Some people more than others. Some people will be in an office of evangelists. Some people will have a spiritual gift of evangelism. We know these people, right? But, it, but we all have a general call and have, have everything we need once we're walking with the Lord to share the gospel. Boredom can lead to dangerous practices. Worship team, come on back up. Sorry, we're a few minutes later. I think people are, now I know that people are much more hungry than we give them credit for. Listen, stay engaged here. Let the worship team do their thing. They're much more hungry than, than I give them credit for. I've noticed during COVID, especially starting in 2020, I've noticed that it's easier to see people saved. Yep. Easier than any time in my life, and a lot of y'all are older than me. I bet, so I, I think you would say the same thing. It's just, it's so easy. It's not necessarily easy to, to, to do it because it's not, not every person you share with is going to want to hear from you. Not every person's going to get saved, but way more people will get saved than if you hadn't shared the gospel, right? Yeah. That's always my, 
That's always my default. I ha it has to be the default. I can't ask, what if they make fun of me? What if they think I'm stupid? What if they don't talk to me anymore? What if they call the cops? What if they do this? What if they do that? What if I get fired? What if I get... I have to ask the question, what if they get saved? Yeah. I did it years ago. Somebody told me that with healing. It was Randy Clark. He wrote... Um, so I guess he didn't, or maybe I heard him speak it. I, that's what it was. I was at a conference, I heard him speak. And uh, he said, he said, no one that you don't pray for will get healed because of your prayer ministry. But so like, stop asking the question, what if they don't get healed? And ask the question, what if they do? And it, it helps when we change our paradigm, change our mind about how we think about it. Would you stand? Sometimes you guys know who Leonard Ravenhill was. Um, one of the books he wrote, I've mentioned it before, it's called Why Revival Tarries. I can only read it a chapter at a time. Every time I read a chapter, I think I'm not saved. And he, you know, he was, he was definitely a prophetic motivational guy. He saw everything that was wrong in front of him and very little of what was good. <laughs> But the Lord used him powerfully. You know, sometimes during his messages, he'd be invited to preach. He'd just get down on his knees and intercede for an hour out loud and let people watch. And then, he'd, and then that would be it. Sometimes he would just lay down and cry out to the Lord for his time slot. Hey, we, he's a revivalist preacher. Hey, I'd like to invite you to preach. So he'd just come and he'd, be, he'd just sit down or lay down and he'd just scream and cry out and shed tears for people for an hour. And that was it. And then, you know, he saw a lot of people come to the Lord. And at the end of his life, I've mentioned this before too, at the end of his life, a lot of people several people were calling him or going to the hospital. Um, they wanted him to lay hands on them because they wanted his mantle. He was dying. He had very little time left. Pastor Ravenhill, would you lay your hands on me? Would you impart just whatever you carry? I want what you carry. I want what you carry. I want what you carry. And what they're, what they're saying is, I want the, to see the same results. It's honorable. And he wrote, or he, he said this, and someone else wrote it, uh, that he had, he had leaned over to somebody that was in the hospital with him after one of these people had come in and asked him to pray. And I think he was gracious many of the times and did it. Um, but he leaned over and he said, he said, everybody wants my mantle, but nobody wants my sackcloth and my ashes. I think the church at Laodiceo wanted all the results with none of the work. I have been guilty of wanting all of the results with little work. And I have a strong work ethic, or as I thought I did, when it comes to you know, building homes or having a job or whatever. But when it comes to doing the very basic things that he's equipped and empowered me to do, I've just really fallen short. I'm really sorry. I'm going to do a lot better. You can ask me about it.
I invite you to ask me about it. But I'm telling you that if we will repent from wherever, I'm not accusing anybody. I mean, y'all could be great. I don't know. But for me, we can repent and step into the promise that the Lord gave in Revelation chapter 3. Right? To he who overcomes, I'll give you the right to sit with me on my throne. And then we can step back into basics and not try to make an overcome make a thing or overcomplicate or try to, I mean, and really guys, I'm you know that I'm for miracles. <laughs> you know that I'm for gifts, you know that I'm for the outpouring, you know I speak in tongues, you know all these things, but we gotta let those things follow us. Mark 16, 17. You understand? Do you understand? They accompany those who believe. They don't, they don't lead us. Jesus leads us. And those things will follow. When we start trying to let those things lead us, then we push Jesus out of the way because we can only have one leader. just for a minute or two you guys can just play and then Glenn's gonna come up and uh, are you you can stand sorry you can stand said do whatever you want but let's just let the Holy Spirit speak to us for a minute I mean if you you know we're right at noon and we always like to let people know that you know you're free to go if you need to please don't feel like you you need to stay but I just encourage you to stay no one's going to be like, I can't believe you left. <laughs> just, I encourage you just to listen to the Lord for a couple more minutes. Let him speak to your heart. Let him undo stuff. I did that this week. It hurt, but it's so good. Worship team, thanks for playing while we can do this. It's a real gift. Let's just sit for a minute, and then Pastor Glenn will come up and lead us in a ministry time. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. To download the notes and slides for this message, visit our website, riverinthehills.com. If you would like to partner with us in moving God's heart and changing the world, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend.